This is the second of two About Empathy episodes on the topic of medical assistance in dying, also known as MAID. If you haven't had a chance to listen to our first episode, where two physicians discuss their experience with MAID, we encourage you to go back and give it a listen. In this episode of About Empathy, our guest Kim shares her story of why she is choosing MAID. Since the recording of this episode, Kim has received MAID in her home and died with her family by her side. We hope that Kim's story gives voice to those patients who are choosing MAID. Welcome to About Empathy, a podcast that focuses on patient and healthcare providers' experiences. Thanks for joining us for the second season of About Empathy. This season, we have engaging conversations with patients and informative discussions with healthcare providers. There are six episodes in this season, and each week we will dive into a topic that we hope inspires you to have empathic interactions. I'm Dr. Irene Ying, and I'm here with my co-hosts. I'm Dr. Giovanna Siriani. And I'm Dr. Dori Sakraja. We are physicians working in palliative care and psychosocial oncology at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto. Our clinical experiences have taught us that there is invaluable wisdom in the stories of the people we care for and work with. This podcast gives voice to both the patient and healthcare provider experience while also reflecting on how we can learn from these stories to inform our practice. Our guest today is Kim Martin. Kim has long been an advocate for the right to choose death over suffering from chronic illness. Kim has been receiving treatment for cancer over the past 10 years, originally breast cancer, and then learning about a year ago that the cancer had spread to her brain. Today, her mobility is limited. Tumors have caused neurologic damage that limit her ability to walk. Despite her physical state, Kim knows it is only temporary. She has requested to have a medically assisted death often referred to as MAID, which stands for Medical Assistance in Dying. Kim, can you tell us, how did you know it was the right time to request MAID? Well, when the cancer spread to my brain, and then really more recently to my spine, this is quite a rare kind of spread to the spine. And my neuro-oncologist, he couldn't really offer ongoing treatment or any kind of cure for that location. So I realized that my health would continue to decline. And at that point was the support of my kids, my girls coming and going, and my friends are super supportive, but I live on my own. I never wanted to see myself in a hospital or long care facility where I couldn't be wiping myself and feeding myself and some of the basic activities of daily living. So once I realized that it would get to that point, I requested to talk to my radiologist, Dr. Meyer Hogg, about MAID. And they were very responsive. They referred me to Dr. Amy Nolan, who's a palliative doctor, one of the two providers of MAID at Sunnybrook. And they were very, very informative and supportive right from the get-go. And in the process of talking about me to Dr. Nolan and to Dr. Meyer Hark, what sorts of things did you start to think about in terms of like when you would decide it was exactly the right time? Obviously, you're here with us today, even right. though your walking has become more limited. But with MAID, oftentimes there's sort of a, a point where you said, okay, now's the time. Right. What's kind of gone through your mind around when that right time will be? Well, it's quite a broad question, right? Because of my girls being so involved with my life and decisions, really last summer we started to have the more in-depth, ongoing conversations. We call them L&D, living and dying sessions. 
and we sit down and talk about that hopefulness of having a bit more time. And really, it's a balance. It's a dance between being realistic about how limited the time is. And because Emma's pregnant and due in November, of course, that kind of factors in as well in terms of the timing, the hopefulness. So with Dr. Nolan's help and guidance, I kind of continue to judge and calibrate when that time is because, as you know, legally, I have to be in my right capacity to be able to call it like on a day. So that's kind of tricky to not wait too long. It's complex. It's, it is it's complex. It's not, not simple no. at all. No. Yeah. No. It's not like when this thing happens, then the next day I'm going to do this. It's almost like you're kind of gauging and reassessing how you're doing. Totally. On a, do you find on a, on a week-by-week basis? Or totally. A, yeah. 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 So we're seeing Dr. Nolan this week, and in the last two weeks, things seem a little more kind of stable, like what helps me get through the day. So every week it kind of changes a little bit. Mm -hmm. And what's been helpful for you in making those types of assessments and decisions? talking with my girls, of course, that ongoing, you know, talking, laughing, crying with them about all that. And we we all do, but I do a lot of mindfulness Mm. podcasts and reading. Those have been very helpful in terms of realizing that I can't make those decisions beyond kind of like living in kind of the day, the moment. Yeah. Your girls are a really important part of your life, it sounds like. How was it telling them that this was something you were thinking about and considering? Well, because I've always been a supporter of the organization Dying with Dignity for many years, my girls laugh. They're like, are you calling the DNR (laughs) (laughs) today? Like they know that it's always been my intention Mm. of having a lot of control over those Mm. last days. So it wasn't like there was ever a surprising moment, I don't think, for them. But it was very hard in terms of sort of emotional, psychological part of it, saying, okay, well, now I'm having a meeting about this and getting this signed off. And how has those discussions changed the relationship with your daughters Again, it's been a dance where they continue to let me wrestle control from them and with them, but then I also give over more control than I used to have. So it's really changed that way in terms of who gets asked those questions. It sounds like being independent and having control is really important it is. for you. It is. But it sounds like you've come to terms with those aspects that you're willing to let go of? Well, I still, every day, honestly, it's still a a bit of a battle and back and Mm. forth and everything. I think every day and every week, I'm able to let go of some of that easier. And also, I am a controlling person. So even things like my memorial event, Mm. I didn't want to leave them because my partner died 10 years ago, their dad. So I didn't want to leave them kind of holding the bucket with, oh my gosh, what would mama want or where? So I've done some exploring around with my girlfriends, little practical things like that. That's part of you being a planner, it sounds like, but also that's your way of also caring for your girls right. and making sure that that's not as difficult 
for them. It'll be difficult no matter what. Right. I mean, they have full, big lives, mm-hmm. right? With partners and houses. And it's a funny thing, you know. They want to, of course, have this time with me, but I want them to live their lives. So that sounds like the constant dance you've been talking yeah. about, right? When you mentioned losing your partner, the girl's father, 10 years ago, did that have an impact on you and your thoughts about MAID? Good question. Bruce did end up in a palliative unit downtown. And there were, just in the last day or so of his time, there were some really not comfortable, peaceful moments. And so, yeah, I think looking back, if I could at that point, not that I was thinking of it 10 years ago, I think kind of to avoid that scramble and that kind of franticness that can happen. And Kim, you mentioned that you brought the subject up with your doctor. You got to a certain point with your condition. Had anybody ever broached the topic with you before that? Yeah. Did any doctors ever they talk hadn't, about the They actually. Now, my cousin, who just passed away, had a very long-standing neurological condition, and we were very proactive talking with her doctors. So I was used to talking with the medical staff about someone else and their decision. It was funny because when I did mention it, I was, of course, hoping someone would say, oh, no, you don't need to be thinking or talking about this. Yeah, but that didn't happen. I got the referral right away. So I was like, oh, shucks. (laughs) Someone else is thinking this, too, which was fine. It was appropriate. I don't think that's every patient's experience Mm. that it would be that smooth. Mm. In your advocacy work, even before you had your illness, do you think it's important for doctors to ever bring that topic up? Or do you think that should come from a patient? No, I think it's part of the ongoing options and care. And I think the onus is on the doctor. It's just a new law, right, in Canada. So many people aren't aware of it, that this is an option. So I think it's up to whether it's an oncologist to bring it up. And then if the person, you know, obviously shows no interest, that's fine. As an extension of Dory's question, it sounds like you've had a lot of support from your doctors and from your family. Has there been anyone close to you who hasn't been supportive of your decision? Because it's still quite a divisive issue for a lot of people. Yeah, I have not shared, of course, anyone who listens to the podcast. (laughs) Well, no. And anyone close in my family has been very supportive. And I haven't really shared it with people like far and wide who I don't really want to have those conversations with them. If they ethically or spiritually don't agree, well, that's kind of for them to keep to themselves. Yeah, Yeah. everyone who's important to you knows and is supportive. Exactly. That's great. So, Kim, our time is already almost up, but we always finish our podcast with the same statement for all of our guests to complete, which is, if only they knew, which is to say, like, what do you wish the healthcare professionals who took care of you knew about your experience so that we could provide you with better care? I think that it is such an up and down decision-making thing. So up and down every day and every week. I guess in the end, just that continued affirmation as they have provided that it is my decision in the end. And there have been lots of ways that they've done that, that they've given us some kind of realistic measurements of where things are at. I 
think that's been the most important. Thank you so much, Kim, today for joining us. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. You are listening to About Empathy. About Empathy is recorded at Wellspring. Wellspring Cancer Support Foundation is a network of community-based support centers offering professionally-led programs and services to help people living with cancer and those who care for them. No referral is necessary, and Wellspring programs are offered free of charge. Visit wellspring.ca. About Empathy is made possible through an education research and scholarship grant from Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre and a medical humanities grant that is jointly funded by postgraduate medical education at the University of Toronto, as well as the Department of Family and Community Medicine at Sunnybrook. Welcome back to About Empathy. It was so great talking to Kim. She had so many really important points to bring up about how to care for a patient when they make a request for MAID. Did you guys have any thoughts about what really struck you? Well, she brought up so many great ones. One that really struck me was her talking about the importance of bringing it up, Mm -hmm. like a doctor bringing it up. That's kind of controversial for some people. It is. She's such an advocate. I wasn't surprised that she brought it up. But you think about those patients who maybe don't know as much about this topic. From my perspective, I would like to see patients at least know their options. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure they can always know their options if we aren't the ones bringing it up, because not everyone will be as informed as Kim obviously was. Mm. You mentioned, Irene, it's a very divisive issue. And not all physicians, not all health professionals are supportive of made legislation for whatever reason, you know, for their own religious or moral or ethical reasons, they're not supportive of it. And that might be part of the reason why it's not brought up in the legislation because there is some mention of that someone should not be coerced into made, that there's a concern Mm -hmm. in the legislation Mm -hmm. that if a physician brings it up, that may be construed as coercion, perhaps. And so people, I think, hold back. And I think even before made was around doctors, even when we had palliative sedation, doctors kind of shied away sometimes for bringing that up as an option all the time because they worry about putting thoughts into someone's Mm -hmm. head or making them even feel more fragile than they already do, making them feel bad. I think we know now that people often don't get upset when we bring things up and they sort of welcome opportunities to talk about things. And if it's not something they want, they don't have to. Like not just me, but us bringing things up can be very important to patients. Kim was lucky because she had physicians who were very supportive when she brought it up. And unfortunately, because of what you mentioned, Giovanna, that's not going to be the case for a lot of people. They (laughs) might bring it up to their doctors and their doctors might shut it down and say, this is not something I talk about. And then it leaves them kind of alone at a point in their lives when they really need more support probably than any other time. Mm -hmm. That's part of my worry is that if you're a physician who's opposed to made, my worry is that if you shut down the conversation, then it's seen from the patient's perspective as abandonment. And I actually mm-hmm. think that whether you support made or not, you should still be exploring mm-hmm. why someone is making the request for Absolutely. made. I think that's the key part. And I don't think that that's necessarily something that all physicians or healthcare providers do, but it really is our job. Explore their request. Why are they suffering? Why are they asking that? That doesn't mean you're in support of MAID if you're doing that. 
Yeah, sometimes it's just about giving somebody information. Right. And not making people feel judged is so important at this vulnerable time of their lives Mm -hmm. and not making them feel abandoned because it doesn't matter what you believe. Mm -hmm. If a patient asks you a question about something that's legal, it just behooves us to treat them respectfully and to give them information. Yeah. The other thing that Kim brought up, which I think is really important for people to acknowledge, is that it's not a line in the sand when Mm, you decide, when you actually want to go through Mm -hmm. with the MAID process. Like she talked about not wanting to be in a situation where she's dependent on others for personal care. But then she's like, this thing happened where my daughter is now expecting in the fall and I'm going to have a grandchild now. And that's changed my perspective on what's important to me. Because we oftentimes think about, okay, once we get to the point where I can't walk anymore, for example, or I can't do this, that's when I don't want to be alive anymore. And so we know from other studies that we're very bad predictors as human beings about what quality of life will be acceptable to us in the future. And unfortunately, though, because of that, there is the legislation that people cannot decide in advance when they want made after they've lost capacity. And Dory, you were mentioning previously to me how a lot of your patients struggle with that. They do. You could just see the fear in them when they think that they might miss the moment or if they become incapacitated, they will no longer be able to have their request carried out. And so sometimes they think, well, maybe I should have it sooner than I really want it just to make sure that doesn't happen. I mean, we see that fear with Alzheimer's patients a lot, but we also see it with patients with any type of cancer, especially if there's been a brain mat involved, that fear of something can make my cognition change quickly and I don't want to miss my moment to have this request become a reality. I had a patient like this very recently, and when she had brain involvement, she was so adamant of getting everything set up for me because she had such a fear of not being cognitively well enough to then have made. And she was lucky enough that the steroids gave her a time, a reprieve, and she was able to be with her family and really have the discussions. And that was something that I just love the way Kim talked about those L&D discussions with her daughters. I mean, we could just Living and dying, have yes. that patients do that with their families, right? As you guys mentioned before, the importance of doing this at times that aren't chaotic, I mean, those conversations will never be easy, but they go so much better when people aren't in the moment of change or crisis or chaos. And that was quite beautiful to hear how they do that regularly. Mm -hmm. And I would say it's pretty rare. I feel like mostly we live in a very death phobic, death avoidant society. So I don't think it's really common for people to talk about what their best quality of life looks like and what their dying might look like. For someone to plan their memorial and really kind of outline what that would look like, not common, not Not common at all. And really admirable and a real example, I think, of, of what we all should emulate. Yeah. And I think we've all seen consistently when people are open to talking about living and dying, there's a lot less anxiety Mm -hmm. involved in the whole process. 
I'm Chinese by background, and I know in like the Chinese culture, talking about death is such a taboo. We like to avoid the number four because it sounds like death. And if we try to bring it up, there's always the idea of losing hope, right? They're going to lose hope, and they're going to die even sooner. But we know that that's not the case when we look at studies that try to see if there is a connection between talking about death and depression. We don't really see don't that see connection. It. And yet even for someone so comfortable talking mm -hmm. about death and with her children, she still talked about that challenge, that dance that you're always in of not knowing exactly mm -hmm. what's going to happen. So there's still anxiety, even when you're quite amazing at talking about it. So you can only imagine for people who don't have the ability to speak with their families. I think bringing it back to MAID, making that decision or that request for MAID brings back some control. And I think when we look at what really oftentimes drive this request for MAID, and oftentimes it is that control piece, like wanting to know when and how things are going to play out gives a lot of people some freedom from having to worry about how their death experience is actually going to be like. So it can be very freeing for a lot of people. And it could even be a lot of control you feel just knowing you can request it. Because a lot of patients think they might want it and then decide not to. But just knowing that it's mm -hmm. there, it's kind of like that ace up your sleeve, mm -hmm. can be comforting for some yeah. people. It's a safety. Yeah, there's a safety. Thanks for listening to this episode of About Empathy. We hope the story that you heard today has inspired you to engage in compassionate, authentic, and empathic interactions. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Subscribe to About Empathy to get a new episode each week. When you subscribe and rate our podcast, it helps others to find us. Please share our podcast with your health professional colleagues and friends. Our website is aboutempathy.com. You can find the notes from today's episode and information about our show on the site. About Empathy is a Kickback Productions podcast hosted by Giovanna Siriani, Dora Sakaracha, and Irene Yang. Recorded and produced by Jackie Skinner with additional production and writing by Laura Takahashi. Music by Jerry Finn and Jackie Skinner.